Let me give you a little insight as to how sermons get put together. There's some of it that's common to other presentations, and some of it that's probably a little different, but the piece I want to mention here is that when we start with the text, we begin just trying to understand what God is saying in the midst of a particular passage and then how that links to other things that God has said throughout all of Scripture. We, we try to connect that to what God is doing in our midst as well. What does that mean for us in our current context? And as we do all that work, then we finally get to a point where, gosh, we're going to need an introduction. And we think about what could be said at the beginning of a message that might be a bridge uh, to where people happen to be that morning. You want some kind of a hook that might connect people in. So um, uh, the introduction today might be a little questionable. It is epitaphs. All right? That's where we're going to begin our time, epitaphs. And I thought that we might do that by reading a few examples of some epitaphs that are out there. Um, I, this one happens to be on a, on a tombstone in Rio Doso, New Mexico. The deceased is John Yeast. John Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. There's a gentleman who died back in 1924 by the name of John Denby. He's a dentist. On his epitaph, it reads, I'm filling my last cavity. Do you know Leslie Nelson, the actor who was in Airplane, who was in... Um, uh, naked Gun. He was known for his, uh, um, his enjoyment of flatulent jokes, and so he put on his tombstone, letter rip. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield, also a comedic actor, he was known as the guy who said, you know, I, 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 don't, ever, I, I don't get no respect. Well, he, um, on his tombstone, he has, there goes the neighborhood. And then finally, one that seems to be quite popular, a number of people have it on their tombstones, that reads, I told you I was sick. (laughs) So, epitaphs as an introduction. Is it okay to think about our own death? Is it okay to even talk about death? Is it too morbid? Does it make us feel uncomfortable? Are we being irreverent? You probably know the name of Saint Benedict. He was a 6th century monk who established an order of monks. And you may have heard of the Benedictine rule. This was the guide that he gave the monks in his order as how they would live their lives. Chapter 4 St. Benedict provided a long list of instruments that would lead unto good works. Like if people would keep these in mind, if his monks would keep these things in mind, it would empower good works in their life. And one of the things he included was an exhortation to keep death before our eyes daily. To keep the expectation of death before our eyes daily. That there's a weightiness, that there's an importance that is connected to death, to our death, to your death, to my death, 
And that if we can keep that death in mind on a daily basis, that it would open us to an awareness of how life can be lived in this moment. In preparing for this morning, I was online and in uh, looking into some various uh, statements made about this rule of St. Ben- Benedict's, and I came across this little blog post by a, a, a Catholic priest by the name of Father Mark Tharmert. It, it was on praytellblog.com. It turns out that uh, Father Thaumert had been diagnosed with cancer, and when he first received the diagnosis, he received some information as to uh, that there was a good percentage that he would live at least five more years, if not more. And about a year and a half into his uh, journey with cancer, it was discovered that the cancer had spread in his body, and that instead of years or even months, it was simply a matter of weeks until his life was over. Father Thaumart wrote these words to his community. I believe that Benedict and the monks who lived in the centuries before him knew that keeping death in mind daily would paradoxically help monks and all fellow humans live richer lives now. Looking at this process in a simple head-on way can release the hidden anxieties, and help us to surrender to the mystery that Christ has promised us. The Apostle Paul, in the letter that we have been looking at, writes with his death in mind. A number of scholars understand 2 Timothy to be the last letter Paul wrote, at least the last one that we have. So Paul wrote this in his second imprisonment in Rome with the expectation that he would be executed, that his life was indeed coming to an end. And in the letter, we get something of Paul's own keeping the expectation of death in mind. And so when you think of your epitaph, when you think even more of people gathering at the end of your life and when your life in this world comes to an end, and what do you want them to remember about you? What do you want them to be able to say about you? With this question in mind, let's turn to our passage. It is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. Hear the word of God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, 
endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God show his favor upon us as we come under his word today. So we have been in this sermon series, which we have, are calling Everyday Christianity with Tim, Titus, and Phil. And so far we have been spending our time in 2 Timothy. This is the last Sunday in 2 Timothy. There's a little bit after our passage, but we've already referred to it earlier in this series. It, it contains personal remarks. And so when we look back on this series so far today, here's what we've covered. We've talked about uh, the call to fan and guard. We talked about grace and endurance. We, we looked into passage and we found flee and pursue and avoid and continue. Do you, do you hear in a number of the pairings a bit of a tension, something to, to stop doing and something to start doing, or the attention that resides in them? In our passage today, there is not that tension. It is simply preach and fulfill. Preach and fulfill, which will be our outline as well. So let's talk about preach first. You know, this passage is uh, somewhat of a crescendo for the letter, a crescendo. You know that as a, in music, as something builds to, a, to that heightened point, not just in volume, but in intensity. We have that sense of, uh, of crescendo. As a pastor, when I marry people, uh, and I know for the bride and groom, maybe there's different crescendo moments. Maybe it's the kiss at the end, or maybe it's the exchange of vows. But as a pastor, when I get to that part, and I say to you, I announce to you, by the authority committed unto me as a minister of, uh, of the church which has Christ as her head, I, I, now that the... the uh, the couple has exchanged vows and rings, and I get to that point. I announce to you that they are husband and wife, and they are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I always get goosebumps. I get goosebumps right now just thinking about saying that. A crescendo moment. And here in this text, we have such a moment. Take a look at verse 1. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Do you hear Paul bringing in witnesses as he, as he seems to reach out from the letter and, and grab hold of Timothy's arms, maybe laying a, a hand upon his shoulder or, or upon his head, and he has that, that connection with his disciple. He says, I charge you. Not just me, but, but with the witnesses of God and Jesus Christ. And he describes Christ as the one who is to judge the living and the dead. He calls upon the very appearing of Christ and his kingdom, his reign over all things. And in this charge, he says, preach. In fact, if we read verse 2, all of verse 2 he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
preach. The word in the original language is a word which means proclaim, and it, it has this special connotation that, that you would proclaim uh, religious truth, that you would publish religious truth, that you would make it known. In the Gospels, it's a, an important word. John the Baptist came proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near. He proclaimed the kingdom, God's reign, coming near. The apostles were called to proclaim the good news. And the very thing that they were to proclaim is the word. That's what Paul says, proclaim the word. Don't just proclaim nice little stories. Don't just proclaim encouragement. Don't just proclaim the things people want to hear. Proclaim the Word. Why the Word? Well, we know when we look through Scripture, in fact, even in the story of Jesus, when He is being tempted in the wilderness at the beginning of His ministry, that the evil one comes and tempts Him, and Jesus Himself says, you know, humans don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word leads unto life. We also understand that, that uh, God's word is truth. The Bible claims God's word is truth. Not your truth, not my truth, not a relative truth, not a truth just for one age or one era, for one century or for one culture, but for all cultures. Revealed revealed truth. In fact, we're told it's eternal. That, that you know, all, everything else will, will go by the wayside, but God's Word will stand forever. And so this Word, which is what we live by, this life-giving Word, this Word that is truth, this Word that is eternal, is the Word we are to proclaim. Now, is it a special calling to preach? Absolutely. There are those we, we find in Scripture that have this calling. There's this uh, verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where it says, And he gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. There are some who are called out to be proclaimers of the Word. They have a special calling. If you have a special calling, then that's a calling that God has for you, to step up and fulfill it, that you would hear preach the Word, and you would go, Absolutely. But it's not just a special calling. It turns out that it's a general calling for all of Christ's followers. We're told in Acts 1.8. It's one of those passages where we're to see ourselves in and through the, the example of the disciples. And Jesus, having gathered his disciples around him, he said, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to receive power. And you are going to be my witnesses in this world, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. That's a calling we all have, to be witnesses in word and in action. There's this verse in 1 Peter, you've probably heard of it before, but in 3.15 it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here it is. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. 
to give a reason, to, to explain why, why you're the one following Jesus Christ, why out of all the options in this world that you're, you're prepared to be able to say, here's, here's why. You need to know why. It's a really good why, and I want you to know it. Are you prepared to share the good news with those around you? You know, at the heart of the Word of God, that all of God's Word points to is completed in Jesus Christ and the good news of Christ. And so to be able to tell the story of Christ. And I thought this morning we could just connect with that for just a moment, that, that the story of Christ matters. And I went through, and, and by the way, you can do this search too, that, that there's just this long list of verses where the whole of the gospel is contained in one verse. What you find common in all of these verses are these three things. These three things. There's the need, the gift, and the outcome. They talk about the need, they talk about the gift, they talk about the outcome. In fact, let's, let's take a look at one. 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy 1.15. I would love it if you would read this aloud with me. In fact, if you're at home, I want you to read aloud with us as well. And don't worry if there's someone else in the, in, in the room that's not paying attention to what's going on. Just go ahead and read it out loud. Let's all do this together. Let's join together. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Do you see the need in there? Sinners. To sin is to, to do the things that are opposed to God, that, that in fact sin separates from God. That's the need. Our brokenness, our sinfulness separates us from God. And the gift that Christ Jesus came into the world to save and the outcome that those would be saved through Christ. Here's another one, 1 Peter 3.18, the first part of it. Read this one with me, would you please? Let's read it together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Do you see the need, the gift, the outcome? Okay, you guys are on a roll. So we're going to do one more. Here, ready? This is Hebrews 9.28. You are nailing this. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The need, the gift of Jesus, the salvation he provides, the outcome, being drawn to God. Okay, so if this is the good news, if this is preaching the word, Paul provides a little bit of coaching and a little bit of context. So first to the coaching. Coaching, Paul helps Timothy with the how. What does it look like? He goes, be ready in season and out of season. Don't just wait to where everything is lined up and you feel like, oh, these people will be receptive. He goes, whether it's being welcomed or not being welcomed, whether, whether people are for you or against you, whether people are happy with what you're saying or not happy with what you're saying, be ready in season and out of season to preach the word. Then the next part, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I love that Paul puts it this way. Because when he says reprove and rebuke, that may cause tension for us. Who, who wants to receive reproving and rebuking? Who wants that? Nobody wants that experience. 
And so we can't even imagine ourselves going up to someone and go, I repuve you or rebuke you in the name of the Lord. But you know what's being said with this? It's an encouragement to start where somebody is. Don't just throw out some high lofty thing. Go and rub up next to them and be close to them and be in their midst and meet them in the middle of their messiness. And move forward with gentleness and respect and patience. But be there. Be where they are. And help them to see the need. That's the reprove and the rebuke. And then exhort them. Exhort them on the way forward. Help them on the way forward. And do all this with complete patience and teaching. And then he gives some context. And he gives context. And the context gives us a bit of the why. Why would we preach the good news? He says a time is coming. This is one of those Pauline things where, where he um, has that already and not yet. that he's, uh, For Paul, he knew that this was already going on. And yet he's laying it out. Listen, this is going to just continue. A time is coming. It's happening. You're going to see it around you. He says people will not endure sound teaching. They won't want it. Even if you do your best, even if you have the best introduction and the best conclusion, even if you tell with clarity the good news of Jesus, even if you make it concise into one sentence, people are not going to go for it. Time is coming. It's already here. By the way, if this, were, uh, if this was true uh, before modernity, it is especially true now. If it was true in ancient times and in uh, medieval times, it is true in modern times. Modernity is so focused on the individual. The, the idea that the, the whole of reality centers around me, that it's my truth, my journey, my narrative, my power, my, my wellness, my choice. And we have a whole culture, cultures built around the individual. And often when someone's focused on themselves, they don't want to hear something outside of themselves. And so with itchy ears, they will accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. To suit their own passions. If you were on a dying planet, if you were on a dying planet, and there was a spaceship that would be able to take people away and allow them to thrive. In fact, it had room for all those who, who wanted a seat. And you knew where this spaceship was, and you're on a dying planet. What would you do? Would you not go toward people? Hey, I know how we can all live. I know how we can all survive. Preach the word. Okay, we did three of them. We're going to do one more. I'm going to throw one more verse up here. This is John 3.16. You've probably heard this one before too. Would you share this one with me? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. By the way, this morning you have preached the word four different times. You have proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ four different times. All right, our second part's a lot shorter. Fulfill. Fulfill. Uh, verse 5 reads like this. It reads, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. To be sober-minded, as the NIV says, is keep your head. Keep your head. 
Don't give in to all the different distractions and emotions and all. Keep your head. Be sober-minded. And that's in the present imperative. And then there's these three heiress. And they're, they're really given as a way of explaining what it means to keep your head, Timothy. So he says, as he's already said in the letter, endure suffering, do the work of evangelist. But he has that last line. Fulfill your ministry. And in the NIV it says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Do you know that all of us have a ministry? If you're a follower of Christ, you have a ministry to do in this world. You know, if you go into a restaurant, there's this expectation that you're the customer and that there are other people who are supposed to take care of you, right? So you go into a restaurant, you're expecting to be served. Your job is to eat and someone else's job is to cook, unless you go to Alexander's and then they want, you have the option if you want to cook your own steak. If you go to a fast food place, they will probably require that you would clear your own table. But in the main, we go into restaurants, we expect to be served. And maybe some of us have that approach to church. Like we have pastors, we have a church staff, they're really supposed to, they're the weirdos in our congregation that also help them, but the rest of us are there simply to be served. That's not the way that the Bible describes it. That there is, everyone has ministry. I'm going to throw up some passages again just so that we can underscore that we all have ministry. 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house. Get this, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a priest. If you're a follower of Jesus, you stand in the gap between people and God. Between God and people, you're a priest. You're a part of a priesthood to represent people before God and to represent God before people. You are a priest. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4.11 and 12. Notice we've already said 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. That's you. That's me for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You've been given the Spirit of God. And with the Spirit of God becomes a manifestation, comes a manifestation, a, a gift to be used in this world. You are a minister. And so listen to Paul's testimony then before Timothy. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We easily get the sense that he wants Timothy to be able to say the same thing. Timothy, you do likewise. You do likewise, such that you can claim the same thing, that crown of righteousness, Jesus laying upon you the, the victory of righteousness in the life to come. It's like Paul is saying, Bob, you do likewise, such that you can claim the same crown that the, the, the righteous judge would lay that upon your head. He is saying, everyone, you do likewise, such that you can claim the same thing through the grace of Christ. Living with the end of life in mind. Picture it, people gather to celebrate your life. It's not so much about, you know, Bob loved to travel. 
or Bob hated peas. I'm sure they'll say both things at mine. But wouldn't it be wonderful if they were able to say with all integrity, they proclaimed the word in season and out of season. They fulfilled the ministry God had for them. In fact, what if we could um, say this about each other with all integrity? In fact, I'm going to put this up on the, the, our final slide here. What if this could be said about each and every one of us? In fact, where the blank is, would you please say your name? And you need to start so that we can get going on it. So would, would everyone please say your own name? Bob. Poured out her, his life as a drink offering. She, he fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for him or her the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to Bob on that day, as he will to all who have loved his appearing. Let us preach the word. Let us fulfill our ministry. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that you indeed provided for Timothy through Paul. Thank you, God, that we have a word to preach. Thank you, God, that we have a ministry to fulfill. Would you work in us that we would not hold back, that we would fight the good fight, that we would run the race, and that one day, God, by your grace, through the gift of Jesus Christ, that crown of righteousness would indeed be ours. Through Christ, our assurance is in him and between now and then, may we live with that reality ever before us. And may you be honored each and every day. In Christ we pray. Amen.